0: what's going on killers? happy new year before we get started i got a question for y'all y'all like wine of course you do y'all like winning prizes of course you do all right well let me tell you about my girl kyra kyra started a thing called speak wine to me speak wine to me started several years ago as a blog about the ups and downs of being a black american woman who moved to france and experienced life abroad and she started a brand new career in the wine industry since then the blog has evolved to include the visibility project which was started out as a need to address the persistent barriers of entry and advancement of people of color in the global wine industry the project aims to offer financial and academic support to BIPOC persons interested in a career in wine did y'all even know you could have a career in wine in addition to supporting BIPOC talent the project demands that the global wine industry advance beyond their token gestures and immediately embrace a zero tolerance policy for discrimination including microaggressions because they always think that these spaces that are supposed to be heavy air quotes white spaces they think we can't get in but really we know more than everybody else but y'all already knew that in order to establish a more credible sense of inclusion and change for the group that's what they want so she started this amazing contest okay so the submission date is monday december 27th 2021 so it's coming up and with this there are two prize winners one participant will receive enrollment and tuition to support a career in wine because they will get a wine certification and everything that they need support wise to start their small business. This prize value is up to a thousand dollars. The second place winner will receive professional development support for books, stemware, supplies, registration fees, and any anything they need for wine related activities such as workshops, trade shows, expositions, tastings, etc, etc, etc. Listen, to enter this, you don't even have to currently have a career in wine. Maybe you're interested. Maybe you didn't even know that a wine career is an option. Well, we got you. And you can learn everything about this competition at speakwinetome.com and on Instagram at speakwindtome. Maybe this. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. All right, y'all. Strap in your seatbelts and get your passports. We are going all the way to South Africa for this story.
1: Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, please, please forgive me for how I pronounce these names. We're in South Africa. We actually are going to give them nicknames because I don't want to just continue to butcher it through the show. First, we have Muntampusini Masanini. He is one of the hitmen. We're going to call him Bud. Then we have Arnold Sello, another hitman. He'll still be Arnold. Then we have Avatakali. Netshi Salu, he is the husband slash victim. We're going to call him Takali. Next, we have Matata Sedu, the husband's daddy, Takali's daddy. And lastly, we have Malalo Cevizo, our murderess.
0: Molalo is the daughter of a Lutheran pastor in a village that is inside the province of Limpopo, which is like East of South Africa, like closer to Zimbabwe Um, in this village in South Africa, her father was married to Takalani and the couple were known as like a power couple. They were very well known in the neighborhood. They were in the village. They were well trusted. Of course, he was a pastor. And um, even though it was a struggling area, they had one of the nicer houses in the area. And when everybody would describe the family, they said they were very normal they were devout christians they were a pillar in the society so they were like a pillar of strength for the community and although they were looked at in high regard they were still known to be quiet you know to very keep kept to themselves a lot but anyways malala grew up like any other girl in the village and uh, she was a lead in their father's church choir and she was always concentrating on her studies she was a very smart girl she was extremely disciplined in everything that she did and most people said that was because her father was a very strict disciplinarian. So that kind of transferred over to who she was him being so strict, like literally a local man that was like the head man in like a chief in the village. He described her father as a man who wanted order in the village. Like that was just the type of person that he was as a pastor in that area. And that was how he ran his house as well. So Other people in the village said, you know, that Mulala, she kind of, you know, was difficult to associate with. She just kept to herself and she would attend church and she'd do her thing. She'd go to church, she'd sing in the choir, she'd help out, but never, nobody ever knew what type of person she was. They said that even still, even though they didn't know what type of person she was, she still was well known in the community. And it, Her in particular, somebody said in the village, quote, Mulalo played a big role in the introduction of different sporting codes in the area, urging the youth to stay out of crime. So she was very hands on in her community as well. So soon she fell in love with Takali. And Takali was a chartered accountant, okay? He was born June 3rd, 1975, and he was extremely smart. He would he passed his high school exams of flying colors. He's got like degrees on top of degrees on top of degrees. So let me tell you all the degrees that he has. He completed his bachelor's in communications at the University of West Cape in 1995. He got a master's degree from the University of Northwest. He's got an honors honors it's called a b comp slash c t a It's from the University of South Africa he's got an m b a from the University of Durham in the United Kingdom and the way that he got that degree is because he was doing really good at his job as an accountant he actually got an award from the from the Nelson Mandela Foundation that covered his expenses so that he could go to school and he was just you know working as a credit an- analyst just working as an accountant and He's just that good. Um, The couple was married in April of 2006, and they have no children. And due to the fact that he had a very serious job commitment and she was working as well, the couple moved, and they went to Houtang, which is a providence in South Africa, um, because it was closer to work. Yeah, so the couple moved to their new
1: place in April of 2006. Around September, Malalo's husband, Takali, introduced her to an old childhood friend, who was Ntambazzini, or Bud, as we're going to call him. So he was like, oh, yeah, me and Bud grew up together back in the day. I haven't seen him in years, but, you know, this is my old friend or whatever, or this guy I used to know. So Bud kept in touch with Takali because they decided they were going to go in on a business deal, and Bud was going to help him find a place to open up this new business. But Bud was also keeping in touch with with Mulalo. He says that Mulalo has been texting him ever since trying to get him to kill her husband. He said that he was, she was going to give him 4,000 rand after he you know, did the deed and she collected on his life insurance. On December 7, 2006, Bud and Mulalo arranged to meet in a garage close to Spirit with each of them bringing their own hitmen. So they were each supposed to bring somebody to help commit this murder. When Malala arrived, she was driving her husband's car and she had two men with her. Later on that day, Bud had an appointment to meet her husband at the same garage. Takali had requested that Bud take him to look for a place in the squatter camp where he lived in order to open a public phone business. So this is these conversations they started a couple of months ago. So briefly, she meets with them, goes back home to give her husband his car, and she goes shopping with her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law, who's 10 years old. The two had came into town to visit the couple's new home, which they had just moved into. So the ladies, Mulalo, the sister, and the mom-in-law, all go out for a day of shopping. They hit the grocery store, and then they hit a clothing store. Some time had passed where Mulalo kind of disappeared, but... The mom and the sister kind of just continue going on about their day. Later that day, she gets a phone call from her husband saying that two cars are following him and that he's concerned. They chat for a quick minute, and then then they get off the phone with one another. Soon after, Mulalo starts to get worried about her husband and decides to try and go look for him herself. She also calls the police to tell them her concerns. She's searching for her husband's car in the location that he said he was at when he mentioned that the cars were following him. And then suddenly in the middle of the street, she sees a car completely engulfed in flames. She sees the car and she immediately knows it's her husband and yells for firefighters, saying that they have to help him. He's stuck in the boot of the car. His car was a VW City Golf. Whoever did it poured petrol or gasoline all over the car and set it alight his charred body was found after a plot owner alerted the police that the car was on fire near his home Mulalo is obviously upset but she's talking to the press blaming the police officers saying that their inefficiency was the cause of her husband's death she said quote had the police done something my loving husband would have been alive today it's like
0: she immediately went to start blaming somebody else mm-hmm. and that's usually like a
1: Mm-hmm. why are you so quick to point the finger? Right, especially when,
0: like, you had just called the police. Like, it, you called the police, you went and go searching, and boom, you found it. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. Um. So his funeral happened, of course. And during his funeral, there was a farewell message that was read on behalf of Mulalo. Um. And it was read by a family member during his funeral. And in the message, it said, quote, Kali, they have taken you from me. But they will never take your love away. I will always miss being in your warm arms because no one will ever replace you in my life. My love for you is so strong. I will never forget the weekend you took me away to different hotels and restaurants. Not forgetting the time you took me overseas. God knows why you were taken away from me at such a young age. First of all, she didn't read it herself. I'm sure God does know why. And then at the funeral, the pastor. Of the Uniting Presbyterian Church in Southern Africa said that Takali's blood will never stop screaming to his killers, and the smoke of his flesh will make them not to know peace for the rest of their lives. It will not take a long time before they are busted because what they have done is barbaric, inhumane, and unacceptable. That's what the pastor said at the funeral. That's very uh, powerful words. No, right, <laughs> right, um, but a weird thing happened that the police found that happened after the funeral, so Mulalo sent a text message to her father in law and it's a no one can really figure out what this message is saying, but part of it reads like reads like, quote, Part one has passed now. We have to go to part two, the material part." Materials put us Christians into temptations and do evil things to get materials of this world. End quote. Hmm. That's what, that's the text message that she sent to her father-in-law. After at, You know,
1: I don't know, they at the Burial site sending text messages. <laughs> the Burial site? <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if this is how she really talks or is this is how? If this is how it translates, I mean, they're probably speaking English though.
0: Yeah, they speak English,
1: but I think they also speak like Afrikaans. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems very, everybody just seems very dramatic. And
0: oh, that's why I hated reading this. But yeah, three weeks after the funeral, surprise, surprise, Mulala was arrested. Now, while she was in police custody, she gives a confession. And in it, she writes that Bud had approached her with the idea of killing her husband after, okay, okay, so this is what happened. They met, they met each other through her husband, right? They started messaging each other, you know, regular, regular shit, nothing fancy, nothing crazy. She tells him one day, I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but she tells him that her husband's been cheating on her. And she says that his idea was, well, why don't we kill him and take his money? And she's like, well, he has a lot of money. And he says, well, let's make it happen. And she said that when he said that to her, that she was, quote, shocked and asked him how that would happen. And he was like, it's all right, honey. Nobody's going to know. So around November of 2006, because that's when this happened, he messaged her and was like, all right, everything's all set up. And then when Mulalo saw her husband leave in his vehicle on December of 2006, on that day that her husband was supposed to leave to go meet them, she says that she got a phone call from her husband saying that two men were following following him. And she was like, oh, oh no, I told him to come back. I told him to come home. Like, Her confession was just trying to be like they did it. And then she she said when she got the text message from Bud, she knew that they got him. And that's when she called the police, went out looking for him, found the car. Obviously, they weren't having that. And she's arrested. And they get ready. And they start getting ready for trial.
1: trial. So... Arnold was one of the men when Malalo and Bud said, we need to bring each bring somebody to help pull this off. Arnold was who Malalo brought. And I don't think Bud brought anybody. He just brought himself. And so Malalo, Arnold, and Bud all pleaded not guilty to murder, kidnapping, and to damage the property. But Bud was singing like the Temptations. He said that Malala promised to pay him 4,000 rand for the job. He never received the money. And when he called her, her phone was off.
0: Her, hold on. I gonna pause you right there, Fred. So, you know, I went to Google. Mm-hmm. Because I had to know how much money this was in USD.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. that's all right, I know.
1: Right.
0: That's you all know. I understand. <laughs> that's all I understand. And... Do you know how much 4,000 rand is in U.S. No, dollars? tell me. My nigga, it is a whopping $261.15.
1: Not even a thousand. How much is a life worth?
0: Not even half of a thousand.
1: Not even half of a thousand. Not even. How much was it? He hit just over.
0: and really not 15 cents, 0.149, but you know, we do math and round up (laughs) and 15, not even 15 cents. Didn't
1: seem like it was worth to sign up for the job in the first place. Right. But he said it didn't matter. It was his money (laughs) and he wanted it now. I don't care if you owe me $20. He added on that she wanted her husband dead because he had a lot of money. A lot, but she was willing to take 4,000 rand. He said that she said that she would organize three men on her own. But there was never three men. It was always two. Yeah, I don't think she got enough people to sign up for the job. Okay, Malala said that she would organize three men on her own. So... Did he know that he was included in this count of three? And <laughs> she she fell one short? She fell one short because it was just him and right. Arnold. So, other evidence presented at the trial, the medical examiner confirmed that he died from the burns and suffocation caused by the fire. The autopsy report showed that his there was 71% carbon monoxide in his bloodstream and so that The carbon monoxide was the cause of his suffocation because you know your blood gets oxygenated before it goes.
0: That's why we have carbon monoxide detectors in our homes.
1: So, also to testify was a social worker who told the Johannesburg High Court that Takali's mother said that Mulala planned to kill him after he had bought her a car and a house.
0: I mean, they just moved in that house.
1: I mean, then I guess everything was moving according to schedule. Another thing that they questioned her about on the stand was when she arrived to the scene. Now, I remember when she arrives to the scene, she's like, oh, no, that's my husband in the car. That's my husband. How did you know? How did you know that your husband was in the car? How do you know he didn't make it out? You know,
0: how do you notice that? And they were also saying that, like, how do
1: you notice that car? Because it was, like, engulfed in right. flames. And, and it was like, you pulled up and was like, it's him. Like, why would you, why are you so sure it's him?
0: Mm-hmm. If I, even if I think that that's my husband's car. I'm going to deny, I deny, immediately deny, say, deny, deny, deny. Right. Oh no,
1: Lord. It can't Where
0: is he? Where is he? Right. It can't. Right. Oh, come on now.
1: So... There were five witnesses that took the stand to say that there was no way you could even tell what kind of car it was. And you definitely couldn't tell that there was a body inside of it. But Malala was like, listen. But Malala was like, No, I know I knew immediately when I pulled up that was my husband's car. I recognized the toe of it. Each of the witnesses also described her as weirdly calm for somebody who had just realized her husband was dead in the boot of the car. Like Yeah, she screamed for the first responders when she first got there, but they noticed that she was on the phone the whole time afterwards and was trying to take every interview that came her way. Like, oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how these police just let my husband die.
0: And they said, like, not one tear was dropped ever. So after she got arrested, remember she had that little confession that she gave to the police? Well, she said that she was talking to Colonel Primrose. and But she was like, listen, that confession was coerced. The officer, of course, said, like, this is not true. She willingly waived her right to a lawyer. And she said, no, she was not only coerced, but she was tortured. They beat her. And on top of that, she was like, I don't even know them like that.
1: (laughs) Talking about Bud (laughs) and Arnold. Right. She
0: said that she don't even know Bud and Arnold like that. And she ain't never even met arnold which we ain't either because it's like <laughs> where is me in this story barely but listen and then she said she didn't even know bud like that either she was like look Sam, so me and Bo we're not friends we're not confidants or anything like that i was just spilling my heart out to him and then i told him who was like his friend his really he's supposed to be friend from growing up with um and he just mentions that he's gonna murder that he'll just murder, murder him. She was like, it 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 shook me. I didn't know. And then they were on the stand and they were like, listen, your confession was pretty spot on to everything that everybody else has been saying. And your confession was pretty spot on to what we know the facts of the story to be as of right now. Because we've we've seen confessions. If they confess, you can kind of tell when they're telling the truth. And if you ain't got no uh, evidence to back up a lie. And she's like, well, you know. I had to make the the confession believable because I was being beaten into an answer. I was being coerced. I was being told that I had to give a statement and I was being told exactly what to say. So, of course, I just made up a story that was as close to the facts that I knew the little that I did know. And that's how the story came to be. That was the confession. But it needs to be thrown out because I didn't even mean it. Like, I recant all of it. And so then the court is like, okay, how? How did the police officers torture you? torture you and then the defense shows pictures of her wrist where there was some bruising on her wrist and they show it to the court the the prosecutor and the court and they have a doctor come in and they're like no that's not really Abuse. bruising right they're like that's just from handcuffs which like also should handcuffs be bruising you though i feel like handcuffs- i mean i know that they hurt but Oh uh, well. Anyways, they said they brought a doctor in, and the doctor was like, "No, that's from handcuffs. That's not from abuse." So the judge, Judge Pandya, he wasn't having it, and he was like, "Okay, listen, Colonel Primrose, here you're telling the truth, and Mulalo, listen here, you're a smart girl. So it is very reasonable for me to assume that you, a well-educated and talented young lady." would understand the consequences that come with not remaining silent
1: and that you waive those by speaking. Sometimes, though, sometimes, you really do feel pressured and you know what you're supposed to do or you know what you want to do, but you feel like you don't have another choice. Like, niggas know how to flex their authority and make you feel uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. She didn't ask for a lawyer till afterwards. And immediately afterwards, she calls her father-in-law to organize her lawyer team for trial.
1: But it doesn't mean she still couldn't have felt intimidated in the moment. I mean, yes,
0: she could have, but, like... I just always think you should just shut the fuck up. Yeah,
1: for sure, for sure, for sure.
0: And... and granted, I haven't been in that situation, but just shut the fuck up. Shut down. Shut it down.
1: You know, they're like trained, and they'll read your ass, and they'll be like, you know, I might can help you out, but you're going to have to work with me. Just to, you know you confess confessing to some shit, and they ain't doing shit for you. It's all a part of the game.
0: Oh, man. Exactly. So next to come on the stand, they have a, a forensic crimeologist Dr. Eon and he takes the scan and he kind of has Mulalo's back. All right. So he describes Mulalo as a gentle soul. And at this point the prosecution has been tearing her to shreds. Okay. They've been calling her everything but a child of God. And they've been like, she's a violent, vindictive assassin. So you know, Dr. Ian kind of goes up and tries to I guess he's brought up by the defense. But the state prosecutor disputed all of this and she was like, listen, she lays out photos of Takali's charred body from the boot of that car to the core and is like, does this seem like a gentle mm. soul? Does this look, does this seem like a nurturing and kind spirit? She stands it in front of him and was like, does this seem like a, a, a kind thing to do? And he was like, nah. It's was just like, okay. And then he also says Mulalo might've had some, mental illnesses that would have caused her to do this or or know about it and basically trying to bring in the fact that mental illness might be a play right and then literally in the middle of him speaking the judge like cuts him off it was like so are you suggesting me suggesting to me that she did not know what she was doing and Dr. Ian is like yeah I'm suggesting that maybe she didn't know what she was doing but here's the thing Dr. Eon is not a qualified mental health specialist, so the court was like, who are you to make this
1: assumption? Or speak on it in the court.
0: Or to speak on it in court, because, you know, those, like, the medical examiners and people that have, like, experience, even the cell phone uh, specialists, they have to sit there and not only testify, but they also have to list their Mm -hmm. credentials, before they start testifying,
1: she said, "You might have took a psychology course, but that does not make you a psychiatrist. A psychologist, you can't speak on this. And you can be a, you can be a doctor all you want, but if you ain't a doctor, what we talking about? Don't it don't matter." It. The prosecution continues to build their case against her. They put Takali's little sister on the stand. And Takali's little sister is like, yeah, me and my mom went to go visit and see my brother's new house and, you know, spend a day with his wife. And first we went and got groceries and then we went to Edgar's and went to the closing store and she left with the bags and she was gone for about two hours. She came back with no bags. I found it very suspicious. It definitely stood out in my head that day. This and just to, like, disappear for two hours. And so that, according to the prosecution, those two hours she disappeared is when she went to go meet Bud before the murder went down. hmm So then the prosecution decides we're going to really nail this nail in the coffin with her phone records. It's always on the phone, you guys. First, there were text messages between Mulalo and Bud. On the day of her husband's murder. The state's like boom. They know each other enough to be having a conversation. And having each other's phone number. And you just so happen to be texting him. The day of the murder. I think not. Then they're like. Now you texting your father-in-law. All suspicious. The evening of the funeral. Talking about materials. And temptation. What materials? What are you tempted by?
0: I'd like to know too, honestly, because money is a material thing that, like, is a very flesh thing. If we're trying, to, if you're being churchy about it, you know. So is that is is it because you you killed she for was money talking about is that evil things? Is? That's what money it sounds like to me. Evil. Money is the root. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me.
1: The prosecution is basically saying, "Listen, Malala may not have been there when her husband was murdered." But she was definitely very aware of what was going on. And it's clear through these messages that she's been sending out to all these men. It's clear to by these messages that she's been sending out. I don't want to make her sound like a slut. It wasn't that kind of party. One of the phone records even led to the... One of the phone records led the state to say that she called the nigga who was killing her husband... And confirmed that they had him before hanging up and calling the police to go out on that fake little search for his body. And here's another thing. So Mulalo
0: also said, okay, she said that the last time that she spoke to her husband was when she called and he said that he, well, when he called and said that he was being followed by two cars. But that was from her cell phone. But the home phone record shows that there was like a 38 second phone conversation from Mulalo's house phone to her husband's cell phone. Okay, and then but that was like 10 minutes after the somebody's following me phone call. But Mulalo, of course, is on the stand and she's like, of course, I called him, but I didn't speak to him. His phone rang and it went to voicemail. Simple solution, right? Well, the state prosec- the state, was like, actually, no. They had a cell phone record expert get up on the stand and testify and say that there had to be a conversation. Because if it had gone to voicemail, there would not have been a call duration reflected. Boop. Which is very good to fucking know. <laughs> That's not something I would think about right off the bat. Mm.
1: Now, here's the part that gets me. Doesn't the phone also pick up when it hits voicemail? Like, think about it. Your phone will ring and it'll say calling. And when they pick up, it starts to count. But it also starts to count when you go to voicemail. So I wonder if they're able to tell But I think voicemail
0: will just... But I think the counting is the counting of the voicemail,
1: not of the... And there would have have, have been a
0: voicemail left. Oh, no, we'd have to ask another, get a second opinion. Oh, also, they go to the fact that on the day of the murder, Mulalo texts daddy-in-law. Like, she keeps texting daddy-in-law, but on on the day of the murder, she texts daddy-in-law, quote, I trust you, but the question is, do you trust me? Sometimes I feel like you are my real father. You are everything to me. Hmm. Girl. Then of course the text at the funeral of the worldly things, that one text. So listen, the judge was like, Listen, I and the state, they said this is basically a confession of guilt. Like, read the text messages, read between the lines. We think this is a confession of guilt. And she's like, No, I was expecting my father in law to read between the lines. We, we no, there's there's no evil, evil things that I'm doing. There's nothing bad that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, I think it's weird that a judge can just be like, actually, this is what you meant, but I guess just hate job. To it judge. seems like this judge was just, just giving his
0: opinions throughout the
1: entire,
0: the entire proceedings because he cut off Dr. So and so.
1: You know, not our country, not our rules Free money is out there.
0: Just go get it by starting your podcast today.
1: In her closing argument, state prosecutor Maro Papa Christopher said that Malalo hired and conspired to kill her husband. She confessed in many ways because she was overwhelmed with guilt and needed to unload. She said, "Why did she send Matata a cryptic message in a religious statement? Who are these Christians who are so willingly tempted to do evil things?" She went on to money (laughs) she had the same questions i did the prosecutor went on to say that everything that was shown in court was confirmed by malala's co-accused and she went back to bud's statement which said that she wanted her husband dead so that she could inherit all his belongings and she wanted to own it all alone Mm. during this two and a half year trial which crazy what are we doing for two and a half years the prosecutor also described malala as a bitter person who tried by all means to frustrate the court proceedings and discredit anyone who tried to incriminate her but really oh but yeah isn't isn't that how you defend yourself by discrediting the people saying the bad things about you Mm-hmm. she tugged at the courtroom's heartstrings by saying that malala's greatest victim Was her mother-in-law, because she had to spend two full weeks on the witness stand being cross-examined about her son's finances.
0: I'm not gonna lie, this uh, prosecutor, the state prosecutor, she was vicious.
1: I mean, don't you have to be?
0: I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, they are, and they nasty, but like, she she was vicious. She came for everybody, and Mulalo team could not stand.
1: (laughs) She said, she said, referring to the mother-in-law, there's not a day that goes by that she does not think of the brutal manner in which her son was killed. The three accused were all convicted on December 7th, 2010, the fifth anniversary of the murder. That
0: trial took forever. It took, it was a two and a half year trial.
1: Isn't that crazy? But I guess if it taken one person two weeks, two and a half weeks to do their testimony... And they had a whole lot of witnesses. They had a whole lot of people speaking.
0: And you killed that. You killed that nigga and was gonna pay somebody two hundred and. I what? What did I say? Two hundred and sixty something. I wonder dollars? if that's normal know. for
1: the trials to take that long. There.
0: I don't know. Somebody let us yeah. know. So now we have to get it, of course, into sentencing. Now the pre-sentencing arguments for. Everybody that was found guilty, which was everybody. Uh, they were postponed to January 24th, so 2011, by the High Court of Johannesburg. in uh, February 28th, 2011, Mulala was sentenced to a life sentence plus eight years for hiring the hitman to kill her husband. She was 33 at the time. And the crowd, like, they were really happy that she was found guilty they were, they they didn't show any remorse. They didn't show any sympathy. They were like shouting to her, Mulalo, go well, go well. You deserve to be in jail.
1: <laughs> I thought she was going to say go to hell.
0: Nope. Go well, go well. You deserve to be in jail. That's what they was shouting.
1: in In the courtroom. After her guilty or, verdict. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> That everybody against you like that.
0: Yeah, that's a hard place to be. But, like, when her family gave her hugs before she was carted away, she was kind of still just still. She didn't really cry. She just kind of stood there, almost, like, unfazed. Of course, she maintains that she's absolutely innocent. But she kind of really didn't show any more remorse. She didn't seem like she was sad. Now... They interviewed the father-in-law. Of course, he said that he welcomes the sentence. So I guess that means that he accepts the sentence. He likes, but it has the father-in-law. Even though, I guess nobody has questions for him. Mother-in-law, she says that she accepts the sentence, but of course, it's going to be very hard for her because it's her, it's her son's, it's her son. You know. Mm-hmm. The judge described the murder as absolutely brutal. He said, "Quote: The murder was committed in a brutal manner. He was burnt alive." Petroleum was poured over his car and he was cremated alive. Mulala was the mastermind of this crime. Because, end quote. It's also interesting because there wasn't any other, he was burned alive. He wasn't any other, like it wasn't blunt force trauma and then tried to get rid of the body. Yeah, Interesting like fucking choice. Like why would you do that?
1: I would never want to be burned alive. Like please shoot me.
0: Oh my gosh. <clears throat> please.
1: And don't miss. You better just Ugh. execution me. <laughs> One shot be done. Don't make me suffer, please. Mm. Okay. We're at the appeal or you got more to say.
0: Um, the other two, <clears throat> Bud and Arnold, they were given life sentences for their role in the murder. And um, Arnold was also given, like, another 15 years because of a robbery. So he got extra time. He got more time than everybody else. Everybody had life. Well, she had life plus mm-hmm. eight. He had life plus 15. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, can't catch a break. And Bud had life plus five. But initially, it was hard for the people in the community to believe that she had a part in her husband's murder because she grew up, she's the pastor's daughter,
1: you Mm -hmm. know?
0: There was one girl that was interviewed. She was 17 years old at the time. And she said, quote, we are ashamed because she represents our church negatively. Now people will no longer be interested in our activities. Like some people were shocked. There was a teacher that was like, if 20 years ago when that child was in my class and somebody asked me to choose one of the little girls that would commit a crime like that, she would have never even been my choice. Like, she just, you know.
1: It's never the ones you're suspecting. I mean, it's it's sometimes the ones you're expecting, but sometimes it's the ones who you'd have never imagined.
0: But some people, you know, they weren't having it for her. And they were like, listen, she like to look down on everybody. She's kind of an uncaring person, kind of just stays to herself. Don't nobody really know her. So what's the point? And then... One time a neighbor said it was like, Oh, you know, sometimes she seems lonely. I don't know, I see her walking by herself. But <laughs> one of my favorite quotes was this lady, she's 40 years old. She said, Listen, that is the daughter of the pastor killing her husband. It is embarrassing. <laughs> I guess that just gives you a sense of like the community there and like that's tight knit and that's not, that's a, that's a hard, that's, you, you did
1: the, the big M. Yeah. <laughs> like, dishonor, dishonor on your whole family. It's, it's bad. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow, dishonor on your whole family. Following the sentence, of course, Malala filed for an appeal. She was like, listen, I told you they tortured me. Uh, my confession should have never been admitted, and then, without the confession, everything falls apart, so y'all need to y'all need to figure something out and It was like, no girl, you confessed, nobody tortured you, you did it, and you deserve everything that you got so her appeal was denied, and she's still in jail, doing life in prison and then some I have no updates about where she's at now in life. Her name was circling in some articles early 2021, and it was still talking about this appeal. So, I don't know if she refiled for an appeal and got denied again, but they are not letting her out. And that's on that. All
0: right, y'all. It is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Okay. I ain't do it but if I did this is how I would have got away with it I ain't do it but if I did I would have paid the person who I owed for the crime I would have paid my debt
1: I ain't do it but if I did or were they even married long enough for this to even happen did she come in with these intentions like they hadn't even <laughs> mar- married a whole year. and
0: sh- The ink ain't even dry on the marriage certificate. Like,
1: give it some time. If he was wealthy, then what could he have been? you just talking about you took him so young. Why, Lord? Why did you take him so young? You don't even have a retirement plan in place. It's just... <laughs> there's no... There's no forethought to this. It's just like ah, get him out of here. And then they say it was because he was cheating. It's giving low budget murder for hire, and it worked out like low budget things tend to. Shitty. I don't know if if I didn't do it, but if I did, uh, I don't know. I didn't do it, but if I did, I'd I just I feel like. You, you I don't know how again I don't know these laws in South Africa, but can't you divorce and get some money Are the women left with nothing in the fin for themselves or they probably can't even get divorced because they were super devout Christians huh yeah, that's hard I don't know. Just it was all wrong. It was all wrong. How are you with his family? The yeah. day that you said this, I get trying to have a nice alibi. This is
0: not the first time, though. This is not the first time that we have had a story where somebody was with a family of the person that they murdered. The day that they murdered, I guess they try them. to have a strong
1: alibi, but it's just like, mm, how low can you go? The smile on your face. All the time wanna
0: take your place The backstabbers Backstabbers Yes I ain't do it but if I did I wouldn't be texting My exes anything
1: Everybody especially my mom.
0: I don't understand what's going on With the
1: father-in-law But I'ma leave that though Maybe okay. So the father in law is this very well respected journalist. Um, he and 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 a civil rights activist out in South Africa, right? Um, so he's got a lot of respect on his name out there. And so maybe she was just kissing his ass because he'd be a nice person oh, to have on her side. Yeah, and maybe she's just.
0: You know who she kind of reminds me of? You ever seen chewing gum? (coughs) Tracy's
1: sister. (laughs) They be they be holding the game of sorry. Tracy's sister. Wow, it's been a long time since I've seen chewing gum. It's been so long, friend. Sorry,
0: Rex. Shut the fuck up.
1: All right, that's all I got, friend.
0: Let's read some reviews and get out of here.
1: What's the next part? It's been so long. Oh, par- <laughs> parole or no parole? You don't even know how to show goes no anymore.
0: I feel like she tried it. I feel like she tried it too much. But like, I always feel like the ones that made the plan, like there's, there could be a chance. But I don't know. It's always the how you did, how you went about it that makes it so wrong, you know.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's the hanging crazy. out with his family,
1: the 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 whole letter at the funeral, all the text messages. You just palant, you add an insult to injury at this point and I can That's can't really
0: why I don't really it. like her. And I'm gonna say you're going to have to stay in jail.
1: And it was just sloppy. It was yeah. sloppy. Sorry,
0: girl. And away enough. you go. Okay, so um, thank you everybody that has been doing us little star reviews on Spotify. Spotify is very strict and you can't actually write a review, but those little stars count. So make sure your finger goes all the way to the top. Um, This review comes from, I don't know, let me scroll down a little bit. 1111, make a wish. Okay, this one comes from Jay Grizz. And this one was written on Christmas. This one says, I gladly take detours when walking to get extra mileage if this show isn't over and lost four pounds. And this show has knocked the boredom out my walk. Great job. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. Thank you so much, Jerry Girls.
1: I need to be out there walking with you, girl. (laughs) This one says... In love. You ladies are seriously my homegirls in my head. I stumbled across your podcast on Spotify during a road trip. First of all, music is everything to me and I haven't tapped into a playlist since discovering you guys. The banter, the delivery, and the remarks that only we get makes the show such a treat. I have binge-listened and made it through all the episodes. I need more. Keep up the great work, and I pray that I see you ladies on the screen one day. You can day. see me Watch, on the screen. Love and respect, Mila. <laughs> on the screen? What?
0: Tazzy she just wants on to a, be
1: see on getting on the, the donuts on the side. Alright, so that's the end of the show. Uh, anything else, friend? Nope. Tell them where to find us. <laughs> uh,
0: you can you, you don't even TikTok know how to do this follow us on instagram <laughs> at sisters who kill pod you can follow us on twitter at sisters who kill join the discussion group you can email us for ad space just to say hi tell us why you're mad at us this week at sisters who kill podcast at gmail.com you got anything else friend talk to us bye. talk back bye